Hello, lunchers. Welcome to the table. As the great Michael J. Fox once said, the oldest form of theatre is at the dinner table. And of course, it helps when the players are brilliant actors like my guest today. Her roles include Miss Mardle in Mr. Selfridge and a show-stopping turn as Mary Watson in Sherlock alongside Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch. Her theatre roles include the critically acclaimed Anne in Florian Zeller's play The Sun at the Duke of York's Theatre in London's West End. Today, we talk about those who behave badly on set, what it's like when your partner's career overtakes yours and getting in trouble on Twitter. It's the brilliantly outspoken Amanda Abington. There's this saying that in the acting community that if you don't know who the twat is on set, it's usually you. <laughs> so I'm standing on uh, Great Titchfield Street, just north of Oxford Street, outside the Riding House Cafe. Um, I like this place very much. I come here on my own dime. I come here for breakfast. I come here for lunch. It's got a sort of New York Manhattan vibe to it with a bit of the Caribbean islands mixed in because of the chef's heritage. I like it very much and I think Amanda's going to like it too and uh, we are going to be eating in the private dining room known as the stables. Let's go inside. Amanda. Hi Jay. Hello. Hello. A, a broad table. Lovely to meet you. How are you? I'm very well. We're sitting in a, a room which is officially called the stable. I wonder um, why. I can't work out. I know. This is Ben who will be Hello, serving us. Hello, Ben. How are you doing? I'm Amanda. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. We can do that, can't we? We can shake hands now, we can't can. we? Do you want some water? Yes, please. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, still, please. Thanks. Thank you. And that's a little flatbread with cassava, hummus, parmesan, rose harissa. Ooh. Wow. What's that in there? It's a hummus made with cassava, which I haven't had before. That's gorgeous. Oh, I love food so much. <laughs> right, you're in the right place. I love food so much. Before we get into the actual ordering, and while you're enjoying your, your yeah, flatbread with hummus, I have to ask you a question. Mm. James Bond's gun. I used it in Sherlock. In that particular episode, which is the one where you, you shoot, shoot Sherlock. Sherlock. You shoot Sherlock. It's all quite complex, yeah. and I'm not going to do spoilers. If someone hasn't seen it, though, for God's sake, where have they been? Yes, exactly. But... You get on set and the prop person yeah. says, and here's your gun. Yeah. It's a Walter PPK. Walter you PPK. And he said that to me and I was like, oh, James Bond's gun. And he went, yeah. And I was like, oh my, really? And he's like, yes, this is, this is the gun that James Bond used. I think it was Daniel Craig in one of those ones, yeah. And when you were shooting that sequence, yes. I mean, not to turn this suddenly dark, but what sort of precautions are taken? Everyone wears earplugs ear or, or, or protectors. And you check the gun, he checks the gun every time he comes on and loads it and, and unloads it. And since the Alec Baldwin thing, I've yeah. just been doing a, I've just been doing a show in Budapest that's come comes out in September where I have to use a gun that guns are in the show. It's just everything's just heightened. So everything's now more diligent and you have to be sort of so far away from people and, and it's checked all the time. They use blanks, obviously. And sometimes they use a like a silencer thing, so it goes. It makes the noise, not a loud noise, but it does the same effect. But it's it's not. They're like dead cartridges. Do you like that stuff? It's always good to have a skill. <laughs> um, Ride horses. Ride horses can fire a gun. I love stage combat, and I love all those kind of fights on screen. I always love watching them. I think they're really good. And have you done the, the physical fighting as well? Yeah, I try and do it as much as I can. Like I try what, and fight people as much. Yeah, because I'm quite minty. <laughs> 
Like, there's always a stunt person for you. There's always a stunt double for you. Usually, by and large, they try and use you as much as they can because because you don't look identical to the person that, you know, that is, is pretending to be you. So, so I always say, look, can I do as much as I can? And I'm quite physical anyway because I used to be a dancer. So I'm quite, you know, I'm not, I'm not averse to kind of just throw myself on the floor and things like that. Well, you can stay on your seat today. That's Thanks. almost uh, that was almost a Radio One nineteen eighties segue, <laughs> wasn't, it? wasn't it? I love that. Yeah, yeah, it was seamless actually. Uh, you have a menu on your oh. left, um, and yes, we are doing starters and mains. Oh, are we? Oh yeah. What have you well, already I like seen? Ch- I'm a big. I like chicken wings. Well, that's uh, very pleasing. Is it? Well, yeah, I, I, was, I, I looked at them and thought, but yeah, but you can't interview someone with your hands in your. I, I know it's, it's but you awful. Can answer yeah, questions. I can answer them, and you can just look at me and go, "What the hell are you doing?" Yeah, perfect. So you're going to have the chicken wings to start. I am, yeah. Um, and I'll have the tuna tartar. And what are you having for your main? Oh, I'm. Um, I always have a cunning plan, which is I decide after you've chosen. Oh, interesting. I kind of like look like the look of the spring peas, chicory, rocket, crispy tofu. Can I do that as a main? Absolutely. That would be lovely. Would you like to add a skewer to that? Oh, I say. <laughs> yes. What? Oh, king prawns. King prawn skewers. Does that, does that, does that work? It does. Yeah, all right, I'll do that. And I will have the miso grilled sea bass. Amazing. And would you like a drink, as in a glass of wine? Yeah, go on then. I'll have a pinot noir by the pinot glass. Pinot noir by the glass? By the glass, not the bottle. And I'll have a glass of the albarino. Albarino, perfect. Brilliant. Smashing. When um, Sherlock came along, mm. and Martin was obviously cast. Yeah. Did two series, they Martin are. Freeman, yeah. just, just for the tape, in case anybody doesn't know. Mm-hmm. You've described watching the screening of the end of the second series with Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss. Yeah, at who Mark's wrote, house. house, yeah. At Mark's house. Mm. And then they pull you into the kitchen and say, we've got an idea. Yeah, and I thought... They said, we've got an idea for Mary Morstan. And I thought they were going to ask me about actresses that, that, that were going to give me like a list of my favourite actors, like ask me who my favourite actresses are and should we approach them. I had no idea that they were going to say, would you like to play Mary? I thought they were going to say, who are your three favourite actresses and who do you think would work well with Martin? And I had a list already because of my yeah, three favourite. Who were the list? I was Nicola Walker. Yeah. I can't remember now. Surely Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman. <laughs> was it? It was Olivia <laughs> Coleman. And someone else as well. It was someone in that Nicola Walker, because I love, love both of those. They're just incredible actresses. But they said, no, we'd like you to do it. And I kind of just, I think I burst into tears. I think I got really, I got very emotional because I was like, this is like the dream. Because I would, I'd wanted to be in Sherlock. Because I thought it was brilliant. And so for them to say that I was going to play Mary. Had you vocalised that? Had you actually said to Martin? I said to Martin that. And he was like, yeah, well, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But... I don't think he knew. Did he not? I think I kept it very quiet. Was it odd coming in to be part of that yeah. huge carnival? Yeah. I mean, because it was enormously successful. People thought there was nepotism and also that, that bringing Mary in would get in between John and Sherlock, which, it, you know, which it, people it did. part of it. People were quite angry about it. You know, die-hard Sherlock Watson fans were very upset that this new element had come in and she was kind of like the third wheel. They didn't like that, you know, responsibility to try and make it to be good. And I was like, well, is it nepotism? Is it because I'm just, you know, I've, I've worked with Martin before and we go out together and it would be easy. I know, you know, I'm working with Mark again, so it's not, it, it wasn't, a, you know. It's almost like family, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a little stable of people that they work with and cherry pick and... Um, I mean, it's very, it's very intimate because Sue Virtue was the producer of Sherlock, mm-hmm. 
She's married to Stephen Moffat, who's yep. the showrunner of Sherlock. Absolutely, yeah. They'd done and, everything. And they'd all done Doctor Who together. And coupling. They? They'd done, like, Hearts would have done so much stuff. And, um, it is like a little family. It's lovely. How did you feel about the fans who... I mean, the most... If you're a really successful show like that, mm. it becomes owned by the fans. Yeah. Well, they're very, very... And I handled... I mean, I remember early on handling it very badly... Because they, this, this, they had this thing called John Locke where they thought John and Sherlock should be together. And, of course, you know, because I was naive and a bit stupid, I was sort of a bit like, well, oh, no, they shouldn't, you know. And it was, you know, I, I just handled it on Twitter quite badly and, and I, I alienated quite a few people, I think. And in hindsight, it's just like, don't take that stuff seriously. Well, so you'd get into rows with people. Yeah. Um, at which point our starters have arrived. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. We've worked it out in advance. He's going to reach across this very wide table. Yeah, I love it. Because <laughs> Ben's talk. I've got a little bowl here for you. To <gasps> Thank you. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm going to need that. And then I've got the... Thank you. Cheers. I suspect the answer to this is yes, but do you follow Johnny Weldon on uh, I love on him. I'm going to let you describe what his Twitter stream is. He basically does everything... Every, every actor I know loves his Twitter feed because he basically does little scenarios of like the first night a press night or getting your first job or you know and and he he faux talks to somebody and it's 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 such an it's the most accurate description of an actor accurate portrayal of an actor that I've ever seen I I, I remember on Instagram when his first one came out I um I DM'd him and said, you're just brilliant. He was like, oh, my God, I'm such a big fan. Thank you so much. And, and <laughs> Sorry, I'm throwing, I'm throwing Rosa Reese at my chest. Yeah. Um, but we can't, we're, now, we're now mates on, on Twitter, yeah. And I've said to him, listen, if ever you need me to do, if ever you'd like me to do one of those things, can I please do one? He's like, yeah, no, that'd be brilliant. That is what's starting to happen, which yeah. is people... Uh... Well, my friend Tracy Ann Oberman did one, and I was like, how did you get that? I wanted to do that. She's oh. another beautifully outspoken person that I love on Twitter and Instagram and... Fabulous. Great actress as well. But as you've mentioned, Twitter. <laughs> you are brilliantly stroppy. As, as am I, it has to be said. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I am. I should, really, I should learn as well. I should learn my lesson. You've been banned from Twitter three, three times. times? Yeah. Muzzle tough, as Tracy would say. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Hat trick. <laughs> now what I tend to do is tweet it, I write it, and then I show my friend Sue. She goes, absolutely not. No, don't, don't put that on. What, you text Sue Vincent? Mm-hmm. And say, should I, should I do this? And she's like, no. Every single one? Not every single one, but one I think might be a little bit risky or a little bit controversial or a little bit kind of, you know. I mean, in the age of social media, when we can see who people actually are, have you found yourself thinking, I really liked your work, but now I find it harder to like you? Yes, I do. And, and, and I find that if, if I find out something, like I, if somebody says they've worked with somebody I go are they nice and they say no I'm like oh you've ruined it now because I can't watch you now I can't watch that person that's the thing can you still watch their work I find it really difficult I find it really difficult to watch somebody who I know is a bit of a you know idiot it just it's so disappointing and what about the stories of performers on sets and how they behave? oh god yeah no I just I, I, I don't I don't speak to people like that. I mean I, there's been a few people that I that I know actually that, that I found out that their behavior has been appalling on set I'm very, you know, when I find that out about people, I'm very vocal about it. Our industry is so small and you need to know when people are behaving badly. Because also they tend to get away with it as well. You turn up on time, you learn your lines, 
but also you have to be a nice person. Do a lot of people in the profession not turn up on time and not learn their lines? I've worked with quite a few people that do that, yeah. That don't know their lines, certainly, certainly. Let me tell you, like, 95% of everybody I've worked with have been delightful and lovely. But normally, like, I've found that in every job I've done where there has been an odious person on the set, everybody else has felt the same thing. There's this saying that in the acting community that if you don't know who the twat is on set, it's usually you. <laughs> and it's, it's absolutely true. Have you ever been the twat? No. I'm just checking. <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. You've said that you didn't start off thinking you were going to be an actor, that in fact you were going to be a dancer mm. because you couldn't also ride horses because that was too expensive. It was, yeah, it was a toss-up between the two. Um, and went off to, a, was that a performing arts school? Lane Theatre Arts, yeah, down in Epsom. I was a hopeless dancer. Were you really a hopeless I mean, you, you must have passed the audition for the school. Comparatively, yeah. I mean, I, I, I ended up auditioning for Cats nine times. But each time you got called back for these recalls, mm. do you think, oh, Christ. I don't know. Maybe they just like seeing me come back. She's back again. See what <laughs> yeah, we, we make, need a little bit of light let's relief. Let's see what we can make her do this time. Thank you. Oh, yeah, lovely. Oh, that looks lovely. Thank you so much. Oh, you've got a small plate and I've got a huge see, fist see, on a plate. Look at that. That's lovely. Isn't it? It's very, very pretty. Yes, isn't it? You're Oh, thank you. Were you moderately deluded at the time because you kept going back. I thought that was the only thing I could do. I hadn't found acting that, at that point. But it all happened pretty quickly, didn't it? You were still at drama school when, yeah. when an agent came calling. Plain sailing for you or were there big periods of unemployment? No. When I met Martin, the work dried up. Like, I didn't, I didn't work for about 18 months. Not to be too vulgar. You uh, cop off with Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Um, at what point was he in his career? He was just about, the office was just about to happen. Literally just about to happen. We did a thing called Men Only for Channel 4, which was a real controversial piece. Um, and he was in that, and we met on that, and fell in love on that. And then, um, literally, felt literally overnight, I didn't get auditions anymore. And the office broke. Which made him a star. Which made him a star. So I stopped working, and he started working. That strikes me as really difficult. To yeah. S- I mean, I, I, I don't want to, in, in, you know, no, it's, we're going back a, a long time and yeah. obviously yeah, so that relationship is now over. And yeah. You're, you're yeah. co-parenting and it's all great. Yeah, it's all great. But I'm, I'm trying to put myself in, in your head when you're emerging into your career and he's yeah. suddenly becoming a bit of a star and you're not working. Yeah. I think I was so in love, actually... I was so in love that it didn't really make much difference. I didn't, you know, I didn't think about it. It was only when I'd stopped to think. And then, and then as it went on, obviously, I mean, as, it, as, the, as the months went into about a year. <laughs> You're literally not doing anything. I was doing odd 
maybe odd voiceovers. Did you think about leaving the business altogether? Yeah, I've always, I'm always thinking that though. I still think that now. I still think I should be a midwife. You know, I'm always thinking it could all drop tomorrow. What will I do? Um, which I think is quite a healthy thing. So that, so um, then I suddenly got, I got a meeting out of the blue for a Channel Four show called Twenty Things to Do Before You're Thirty, which was produced by Jane Fallon, who is Ricky Gervais's partner, and. Uh, Went up for that about three or four times. They did a chemistry read with the four four final people, and that that kind of got me out of my little quagmire of not working. And then it hasn't really been that fallow since. I mean, there's been you know time, a couple of months every now and again, but generally it's been a nice steady flow of work since then. That's the curious thing about being an actor, mm-hmm. isn't it? That yeah, people talk about how's your career going. Yeah, there isn't really a career, is no. there? Just a succession of jobs. It's a series of jobs that you do, and each one is markedly different from the last one, which is beautiful, which I love. It's like being a gypsy. I love it. Uh, Is there ever a plan as to what you should be doing? Never a plan. I never plan anything. The Budapest one I've just done, I just did a job in Budapest for six weeks. It literally came out of the blue. I dropped my children off at school. I was driving back, and my best friend, Sue Vincent, phoned me and said, you're going to get a call from Clapperboard this guy Mike who's the producer he wants to know if you'd like to do a series for Channel 5 it's a four part drama you playing the lead and I was like oh shut up and she went no it's true so so I said well send him my give him my number and my email and send it over thinking this is just nuts you know and then she, he, I spoke to him and he said we want you to be in this this four part drama about this mother who has to rob a bank to save her child <laughs> and um I read it and then my agent rang and said, you've been offered this thing. But it, it, it changes like that. It changed and it fitted in. It was just one of those serendipitous things that it was, it worked beautifully. So I started it, in, I started it six weeks and then I have now had three weeks off. I've got three weeks off now and then I start the play. I start a play in Chichester. And that hardly ever happens because you never get those six week jobs. Do you enjoy theatre as much as... Television? I mean, you do quite a lot of it. What was the big one? You, the Florian Sun, Zeller, we did the, the Sun. Sun. Yeah, which was incredible, and I loved it. Uh, so that was uh, not the lightest of pieces, that one. Describe what it was about. It was about... So Florian Zeller did three plays, The Father, The Mother and The Son, and they were recurring characters. And his last one, The Son, is about a boy who suffers from chronic depression and... Um, his parents are separated and his, the, the, the dad's living with a younger woman and they have a baby together and the mother's been, mother lives on her own and they're trying to make sure that their son gets the right help because he's in a bad way, he's spiralling, deep depression. And, but, but what was interesting was that people that came to see it and a lot of, people, a lot of young people came to see it who said it really helped them because... We don't take mental health that seriously. We just don't, you know? It's not like a broken leg. You can't see it. You can't treat it like that. You have to just... The, the, it's, it's a different... You, you, you have to really look out for it and, and make, sh- make sure that there is enough help. And there isn't. There just isn't. You know, we were talking to child psychiatrists. As part of the rehearsal process. We had child psychiatrists coming in and, you know, um, divorce lawyers and that who were talking about, you know, the impact of that that happens with young people and how they feel responsible for their parents' divorces and that can have a trigger effect on depression. There's no help. There's no safety net, really. I don't want to intrude. Go on. But I'm going to. Oh, slightly, I think you know. Because if, if I'm doing my sums right, at the point when you were doing the sum, mm. 
you weren't long separated from Martin, were no, you? No, no. Um, you were never married, but it was... Three years. Three years, which in a child's life... It's hard. Yeah, really hard. And and it wasn't lost on me that that happened, you know, and it wasn't... So I re-evaluated how we both handled that situation. Um, and, you know, after that, I said to Joe and Grace, you know, do, do you want to speak to somebody? And they speak to their child... They speak to counsellors at school because I think it's really important for kids to speak to somebody who isn't a family member, that they can actually offload and say exactly what they want without fear of being judged. So, you know, I'm a firm advocate of, of young people getting counselling and psychiatric help or, you know, to counsellors, whatever, whatever gets you through trauma. What about the process of doing that? Was it eight performances a week? Two on Thursdays and Saturdays. I loved it. I really did. I loved, I loved, because also, you know, I'm not a method actor. I'm just, I've never been method at all. Like, I never take it home with me. I never stay in character. You're just telling a story. Um, so I leave it at the door. And with that, with that group of people that we were working with, they all had that same ethos. So we all, and we laughed a lot. You know, we had a great time and we supported each other because it was hard. Particularly, you did say you had a problem occasionally corpsing while doing yeah, this incredibly Light, hard thing. John Light as well, who played the husband, my husband in it, and 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 the and the father. We used to. There was a point in the play that we'd always come up to, and it was just. I don't even know what it was now. It was just a thing that we both said. We'd have a little kind of back and forth. It's a release, isn't it? I mean, it's like an emotional release. And because, as I say, because everybody in that piece wasn't they weren't method they didn't you know they they took it very we took it very very seriously like any job i take incredibly seriously but at the same time it's a it's a piece of storytelling is it a process you enjoy i mean you are about you're by the time this is revealed to the nation yeah you're about to go into a play called unfriended written by stephen moffat yeah directed by mark gatiss mm -hmm. uh starring you reese Shearsmith, and francis barber do you see how i did that without any notes it's amazing wasn't it just you're incredible um <laughs> Are you relishing that? Yeah, I can't wait. Because all I've done is telly and film for the past, since 2019. So, the, the, you know, actually, Reese Shearsmith texted me today and said, I am so unbelievably excited that we're working together again and I can't wait to get back into the rehearsal room. And it, it, there, there is a sort of... Because theatre's been on hiatus, for, it feels like for such a long time... Yeah. It just feels like such, it feels like a gift to, to do it again. Because everything is public. Mm. You're now engaged to Jonathan yeah. Goodwin. Yeah. Uh, an escapologist. Yeah. Oh, he's amazing. He can get out of anything. Can he? <laughs> how do, how do you meet an escapologist? We were friends on social media for five years or ten years. Oh, yeah. Ten years, actually. I'd always watched him as a, when Joe was a kid because Joe loved him as a kid. He thought he was amazing because he used to watch his show on Channel 4. We also, and so we kind of had a mutual respect for each other. That's a good starting point. Absolutely. And then I split out from Martin and then I went out with somebody else about nine months later for a couple of years. And during that time, Jonathan divorced his wife, but I didn't know he'd divorced his wife. So I friend-zoned him and then I said to him, I've just had a, just had a, not a great breakup. And he went, oh, well, my divorce has just come through. And then I went, oh. Did you? Has it? <laughs> Interesting. Had that thought occurred to you before? What, that I liked him? Yeah. Yeah. Liked him with a big capital I really L. liked him, yeah. Really liked him. But then when I found out, as soon as I found out, he said, I'm on my own. I was like, oh, should we, we should talk about it and swap numbers. So I gave him my number and he gave me his number. And then the next day 
he said we should talk should, do you want to FaceTime or do you want to do like just talking on the phone I said we're just talking on the phone first and we were on the phone for seven hours and because he lived in Vegas at the time we'd do that every day and then he came to Vienna when I was filming in Vienna and we met for the first time First time in real life. In real You've life. You've been on the phone for seven hours yes, a day. for like seven weeks, six weeks. He flew to Vienna because he'd been doing a job in Hamburg. Yeah. And flew in to see me for two nights. And we met. And within half an hour, he proposed to me and we got engaged. There is a, a, an extra element we then have to throw into this. That he then had a terrible accident. Uh, yes, um, I mean, near fatal, didn't he? Nearly died twice, yeah. On the operating table and at, on the, at the, stu uh, the stunt he did. What was the stunt? He was doing a stunt where there were two cars... It was his own... He, he devised it. There were two cars suspended. He was hanging upside down with a straitjacket on. They were supposed to release the cars just as he gets out of the straitjacket and falls onto a airbag. They misjudged it. They let the cars go. He bat, They let him go, and he smashed in between the two cars. They set on fire, and the crash map wasn't moved, so he fell 30 feet and um, uh, got uh, lost a kidney, broke both shoulder blades, shattered both legs, third-degree burns, broke his spine and severed his spinal cord and um, nearly died. And then on the operating table, he nearly died again. He's just been in rehab since October... And he came out the day before we flew to Budapest together. And he's in a he's in a paralysed now. He's in a wheelchair. He's in a wheelchair. Yeah. And I don't. We don't know. You know, unless there's kind of stem cell surgery or that thing that Elon Musk is designing the little chip, he'll be like that. Yeah. So it was kind of. It's. It, I mean, that's a shocking, very heavy thing to go through. Yeah. And he's incredible. You would never believe for one moment that he's been through that he's so positive and upbeat and so strong like his courage and his strength is something that I just aspire to be like he's just incredible honestly like so happy just like a very happy positive human being like just liquid sunshine completely he's amazing quite seriously is he looking at ways to investigate escapology while being wheelchair bound no he's given he's retired now right He's retired. <laughs> Is he retired? <laughs> I've said to him, you know, because he's got this lust for doing stuff like that. You know, it's in him. But um, he did say to me when he met me, he said, "I want to, I want to hang up my, you know, hang up my straitjacket." And, and then, you know, the accident happened. So he was forced to do it. Really. Were you anxious before the accident happened that this was a thing that could happen? Yeah, but he was—he's so meticulous and so, you know, it was—it was an accident that should never have happened. And and he's. Um, He's lucky to be alive, certainly. Yeah. You do have a, a very shimmery piece of uh, rock on your <laughs> on your finger. Yeah. And rather gorgeous it is, too. I could just see it shimmering across. Right. You have a date set? Summer. We're going to do summer. He's, I, I couldn't see my life without him now. And even when the accident happened, like, when he came round, like, I hadn't spoken to him for, like, 36 hours because... I, you know, he left. He did me a voice, a FaceTime message before he went down into surgery, and said, "There's a 50-50 chance that I won't make this. So just let you know that you're, you made me the happiest I've ever been, and I love you with all my heart. And thank you for the last three months of or two months of my life with you." And then I didn't hear from him for about 16 hours, 17 hours. Where were you? I was trying to do stuff, busying myself, and waiting waiting not waiting for that phone call saying he's made it or he hasn't made it and they didn't they don't tell you 
And then I got a text from him hours later saying they've just given me my phone. We have lots to talk about, um, but I love you. And then I we spoke to each other and and I said, I'm not going anywhere. Because he said, you know, you, you walk away from this. I, t you can, I would totally respect and, and understand you walking away from this because this is a big thing. I'm not going to walk again. Never once occurred to me to do that. Of course not. He's just the, the most beautiful human being I've ever met. We just have a blast. You know, we laugh all the time. He's writing, you know, he's really, he's very good at creating stuff. He's coming to terms with it beautifully, like effortlessly. And so is your house adapted for wheelchair use? Yeah. You forget, you know, you sometimes forget that he's in a, he's in a wheelchair because he just doesn't, he doesn't complain about any of it. He said to me, like, as soon as it happened, he was like, well, this is the next stage of my, this is the next chapter of my life now. And I'll just, I'll just be the best at this, you know. You'd both be entitled to be a bit cross. Yeah. I'm quite angry. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, because he's it, it didn't deserve that to happen. It just you know the, the most one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever met, and it just felt like a real kick in the teeth. Because you think, well, you know, that's so unfair. <laughs> but he's an inspiration, certainly to me, to live in the moment and to enjoy life as much as you can. He's like such a good um, role model for positivity and just loving and appreciating what you have. Like not looking like we, we have this thing where you don't, if you look too much into the future, that's anxiety. If you look too much into the past, depression. So just you stay in the moment. As long as you're in the moment and you're experiencing this now, you can't do anything about that and you can't do anything about either future or past. No, that's that's happened, that yet to happen. That's already happened. Can't do anything about either of them. So the idea and the, the, the thing that I think is healthy is to just be now and present and enjoy what's happening now. And I think we don't do that as humans. We find it very difficult. We're either worrying about something that's happened or worrying about something that's about to happen. And he's taught me that, no, you do it. Just be, try and be in the moment. Well, that being the case, do you want to have a look at the dessert menu? Yeah, I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the wine list, isn't it? Oh, is it? Oh, has it? That was lovely. Oh, right, okay. Let me pass, pass that in your direction. <laughs> Can I have hot brioche donuts, please? Absolutely. Thank you. And can I have <laughs> the rhubarb and custard cheesecake, please? Yeah, that's what I was going to do. I often find with people who have had a lengthy acting career that they start to think about doing other things, <laughs> writing, directing. I really want to direct. I was thinking that when the last job I did, Desperate Measures that I've just done, I, that, it, it's a, it's a, I've got the bit between my teeth now and I'd like to do that. Is, is that because you're an absolute control freak and think you might enjoy the process? I am or... a control freak. I realise yes. that. <laughs> I'm, I really am. As I'm, as I'm getting older, I think, God, I really am. I like to know everything. So, is everything, everything all right? Okay, good. Yeah. So you talked about feeling a responsibility to stand up for younger women on yeah, sets. I do. Passionately. I mean, obviously, when you're on a set, you're, you're, you're working. Mm. But that constant observation of what is happening to younger, more vulnerable members of the cast. Yeah. That is an act of careful control, yeah. actually. I mean, I, I say that yeah. in a very positive sense. I think so, yeah. And I think if I was the director, I'd make sure that that was, you know, that was a, a big thing, like a, a thing that was, was, was magnified, certainly. 
I'd be very wary. But then I, you know, I like the idea of using like you know female DOPs and female gaffers and things like that. I like that idea, you know. Shouldn't be an idea though, should it? No, it shouldn't. No, it shouldn't. (laughs) It really shouldn't, and it should be a thing. And I think you know that's that's what I mean about things not changing as much, really. You know, we need more young girls and to, to become camera people, and you know, lighting designers, and you know, stuff like that. Has it improved in the time that you've? In the enormous length of time, Amanda, that you've been in Yes, the Jurassic Amanda. <laughs> um, yeah, I've seen, like, I've seen a lot more ADs becoming women and I worked with a lighting designer who was a female in Vienna who was amazing. I've worked with female camera people. It does feel like there's a shift, but I think that it needs to be more appealing to, to, to women and I don't think it is at the moment, young girls. I'm going to make this a final question. Has your daughter shown any interest in following you into what you do? I think she'd like to be in that. She's very, very good at art. She's very good at, like, she's one of those people that can turn her hand to anything and she's brilliant at it and, you know, she's incredible. Um, I think she would make a really good actress and my son is really keen as well. They're both keen to do something artistic. Well... I think they've got a brilliant role model for it. At that point, with our, you've got desserts heading your way. I've got cheesecake coming away, so I shall just say, Amanda Abington, thank you very much for letting me take you out to lunch. Thank you, Jane. Loved it. Thank you, Amanda. And thank you, too, to the Riding House Cafe in London. Amanda's play, The Unfriend, is at the Chichester Theatre from the 21st of May to the 9th of July. You can go to cft.org.uk for tickets. And the drama she's just been filming in Budapest is called Desperate Measures and will be on Channel 5 later this year. Uh, If you love the show, do please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do share this with everyone you know, or simply show your friends on their podcast app. Also, if you comment and give us, I don't know, five stars on Apple Podcasts, it will really help us to keep making more. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The recording engineer was Paul Brogdon and the mix engineer, Josh Gibbs. Assistant producers are Anya Das and Bethany Hocken. The producer is Selena Reem and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Next time, it's the superb actor and writer who made his name in Four Weddings and a Funeral. It's Simon Callow. I think it's a room with a view where Julian Sands and Rupert Graves yes. are dancing naked round the pond and so yeah, are yeah, you. Absolutely. And there they were, these gorgeous creatures. Gazelles, I said, uh, hotly yeah, pursued by a hippopotamus. <laughs> <laughs>